When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Happy holidays, Geekscapers. Oh my gosh. Here we are. Hello, Jackie. Hello, Joshua. We are here. We have ditched our typical co-hosts. I've ditched Joe from Fright School. And I kick Marissa to the curb. <laughs> and so we're doing, what is this? A we Jersey School? Ghoul School? Fright Ghoul? Yeah, <laughs> I think our chat is Jersey School. Yeah, Jersey School. That's what we're doing today. So we're just... We're the, uh, we're the Fright Ghouls today. <laughs> we are bringing it together. And we are here at the fourth annual Geekscape Holiday Livestream Tacular, raising money for Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Central and Northern New Jersey. So I hope whenever this is airing that you are enjoying 24 hours of nonstop comedy and podcasts and shows and music and comedy sketches, all the and right now you are tuning in for an unabashed love fest to the exorcist 50th anniversary edition and yeah i thought it would be fun because this movie was released on december 26th 1973 so in my opinion it is a christmas film it is a holiday film and in fact According to an article I found, The Strange Path to a Massive Success for the Unlikely Christmas Smash, The Exorcist, when adjusted for inflation, is second only to Titanic for the biggest film during released during the Christmas period in the last 50 years. From, well, that's from 2020. Blood is red and pea soup is green. So if we're going thematically color scheme, it's a Christmas movie. You know what? That is a great point. I tried so hard. You can't even see the background. This background is like a red image of like the exorcism of a father Marin standing in like the, that iconic image, but you can't even see it. So it just looks like a some weird blood splatter behind us. I tried to find something like Christmas themed. <laughs> can I find Linda Blair wearing a Santa I was thinking, I honestly had that thought. I'm like, I'd love to make do the green screen background with Pazuzu in like Christmas hat right here. Yeah. Just chilling on my shoulder. I, I think that would be amazing. They need to make that happen. Everything else these days is spooky Christmas stuff. All right. So yeah, we are here celebrating 50 years of The Exorcist, which is just so mind-blowing to me. It's one of these horror films that is still so beloved, and it was appreciated in its day. It was nominated for, what is it, like 10 Academy Awards? Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Best Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Direction, Film Editing, Sound, I think it won for sound and something else. The screenplay. The That's screenplay. right. And William Peter Blatty, mm -hmm. who wrote the uh, who wrote the original novel. Yes, we are we're book worms, so we're gonna try our best not to make this all about the exorcist novel instead of the film. <laughs> which actually went to the book is 71, right? So it's I over so. years old. To be perfectly honest, the 
with William Peter Blatty writing the screenplay, the book is, or the movie, I should say, extremely faithful to the book. There's not a ton that happens in the book that you don't see on screen. So they didn't really, there was no experimental phase there. Like it, it's fairly faithful to it. Yeah, no, yeah, very true. And it's just, it's, it's such a great book and such a great film. And so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to basically gush about the exorcist for the next however long we chat. And Jackie, what is it? What is it about the exorcist for you? I think for me, I saw the movie before I read the book. And I think this was one of those movies. And the reason that I probably saw it probably in middle school was this was like a taboo movie because it's the exorcist and it's scary. I have some devout Christian members of my family that's like, you can't even talk about this movie because if you talk about the movie, it opens you up for possession kind of thing. And yeah, so it was just one of those, almost like, a, in at least for me in my world, like a faces of death thing where it's like you hear people talking about it and it's like, I gotta see it. If, if, if you're telling me not to watch it, then I have to watch it. So I truly don't remember the first time I saw it, but I, I was definitely middle school aged. And I remember it's for a movie, for it being one of my favorite movies, it is a slow burn because really I'm not a ton in the beginning part for my standard of movie like I'm very much I want the hack and slash within the first 10 minutes but there was just something very I don't know there was something really beautiful about the world building of we meet Chris McNeil and her daughter and then on the other side of it we meet you know Father Dyer and, and Father Karras and, and everything that went on and there was just something visually appealing about it there was something really beautiful about the story and then when stuff hits the fan, stuff hits the fan and it gets really exciting. I remember really being taken aback that certain scenes, obviously the scene with the crucifix. I remember, I don't know. I just remember being like, again, that's an age when I'm still going to, I'm a great being raised Catholic. I'm going to CCD. And I'm like, that might be one of the most extreme things I had ever seen. But still, I was like, but I like it. I don't know what that says about me, but I'm like, I I still like the movie. It doesn't turn me off from the movie that there was this really intense scene with a little girl. And then probably not long after that, like early high school was when I read the book for the first time. And that was a life changing experience because for the first time ever, I was like, this is my favorite book in the whole wide world. This is without a doubt my favorite book. And honestly... I would say at least over the last 10 years or so, I read the book once a year. Like it is legitimately my favorite book. I, if I need background noise and I'm at work, like I can just put on the audio book and I can literally just pick a spot anywhere on the tracker and I'll just go from there wherever I land because it's like, I know the story so well that yeah, it'll just be background noise. And I, I know that we have talked about this before the exorcist movie That's a comfort movie for me. Some people put The Office on over and over again. The Exorcist is one of those movies where I will just, yeah, it's like a little bit of home. It's okay. I love you. This is nice. I do. I love it so much. Yeah, I, yeah, similar vibes. What I, again, I love that this movie came out like during the holiday season because it's like, yeah, nothing says Christmas, ostensibly a, a child masturbating with a crucifix very horrifically. It's like, what were they thinking? It's, it's so brilliant. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, 
Yeah, it, it's one of those movies that I also do not remember the first time I saw it. My mother loved it growing up. And she would like enthusiastically tell us when we'd be around like her sisters, my aunts, how they would reenact stuff from it when they were kids. So <laughs> it was just one of those movies that, yeah, I, I'm sure that I saw it like everything that we've talked about throughout the years, way too early and probably way too young. I remember actually getting the book. I have a very firm memory of seeing the film when I was in fourth grade. So this was 90. So I was like, yeah, nine or 10, um, depending on time of year. I can't remember exactly, but I remember I was in fourth grade because I remember the school, I remember the apartment that we lived in. And down the street lived a relative and they had a copy of the book, like old, battered, that kind of maroon, I think like the one you have. Yeah, they had one of those, one of those copies of it. And I took it and I read it at that age. After I remember seeing the film and then I didn't know it was based on a book because at that time it just wasn't. You're right, it is slow. And I do remember my memories of it growing up were really just about like exorcism scenes and like the Mm -hmm. scenes of like her, the violence and and that stuff. Not really the beginnings that are in, is it Iraq? Or like those scenes. It's more like the dogs fighting or whatever they are, whatever kind of canid animal they are that are fighting. I can remember some of those things. For me, it was always about what you're saying, like the gore stuff of it, right? The exciting things. So I remember that, but then I I definitely remember getting a copy of the book and reading it and taking it to school with me and a teacher being like, why, why are you, what are you doing with that? (laughs) I was like in fourth grade. So yeah, but it's definitely the same thing. It's become like a, I don't visit it every year. I did for a long time. I, Mm -hmm. when I first read, because it was one of the few books that I just kept yeah. From, that, from that relative's house. I was like, oh, this is mine now. And I read it over and over for several years. This is going to explain so much to the people watching this that know me. They're like, ah, yes, this tracks. Yeah. 10 years old, rereading The Exorcist. But nowadays, yeah, it's definitely one of those comforts. So who does the audiobook? Is um, it by anybody famous or? No, the, the one that I listen to, someone keeps illegally uploading it on YouTube. And uh, it is William Peter Blatty that is doing uh, the, uh, the audiobook. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm gonna have to get that. Because yeah. I have Live Pet Cemetery read by Michael C. Hall, who did Dexter. His voice is just so amazing, like in your ears. Kathy Bates read Dance of the Lambs. But mm-hmm. her celebrities doing it. So I was wondering, man, The Exorcist would be a really good one for somebody to... Uh, yeah, to like I said, the one that I always go to is it's William Peter Blatty. Slightly off topic, one of the best audiobooks that I've listened to, <sighs> Eyes of the Dragon, Stephen King's book. Yeah. Uh, re- uh, the audiobook is done by Bronson Pinchot, Balky Harkakamoose oh. himself. Yeah. It is so good. It is the, the dramatic change when he turns into Flag, <gasps> he's scary. It's so good. It's such a good listen. Huh. Yeah. I, that I would have never missed. <laughs> yeah. You never would. I- yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> hopefully those of you watching, good audiobook recs, let us know. What are some good ones? Oh my gosh, sorry. My cat is coming here. Say hi to all the people. Look, oh, it's a kitty. And now <laughs> donate donate more money. There you go. <laughs> he's been trying to get at my hat in this all all night. So he's very upset. What was I going to say? Oh, I think I also have a, I have a version of Carrie read by Space also, Ooh. which is cool. So anyways, but yeah, so I'm glad that you also have love for the book because we're on Fright School. I'm always trying to turn us more and more into a book podcast and Joe will not have it. He will not entertain that. So <laughs> I'm glad that we can uh, chat about the, the book itself. Any memories of of watching The Exorcist around the holidays? 
Because that's like another thing for me is I definitely remember watching this as a kid at, at this time of year. <laughs> Being like, oh, yeah, I got to watch The Exorcist. It's Christmas. You know what? I think it's only been in recent years that I've done it. Like I said, it's a movie that plays probably once a month, honestly. But I think as far as, oh, it's December, we have to watch the. I think that's only been in the recent memory of just, it's December in honor of it. It's one of those in honor of, sure, I have to watch it kind of things. Yeah, I don't don't think it's something that had really been prevalent before for me. But I would say in the last couple of years, I do make it a point to try to throw it into the the creepness mix of, of things that I'm watching. Yeah, I yeah, I love that. And I guess that's too knowing that it was like released at, around this time it is. It's oh, it's the 33rd anniversary. It's yeah. the 46th anniversary. Got to watch the exorcist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Any excuse to watch the exorcist. Yeah, pretty much. And there are there's some really I agree. It is very com- there are parts of it that I also do find comforting. That scene where Chris decides to walk home and Tubular Bells plays for the first time. There's a part of me that's, I wish life was always in that scene. <laughs> the way the what? trees are, the so Halloween, the trick-or-treaters, even the creepy evokes, nuns. Yeah, that evokes the same thing for me that the beginning of the movie Halloween does. When Jamie Lee Curtis has her books and she's walking and it, it's hollow, it's a tumnal and the leaves. And where I have grown up my whole life here in South Jersey, that's the season. We get the crunchy leaves. We get the crisp weather. Because that's my favorite time of year, because I'm quite convinced that I have the reverse seasonal affective disorder where it's the summertime that brings me down. Once the Mm. fall and winter hit, I get to be me again. I feel the best I can be in those months. So that part of Halloween had always really given me warm fuzzies. And you're right, that beginning scene when she's walking home and there's the nuns, there's the kids in costume, there's the crunchy leaves because obviously she's in D.C., So I agree. That's one of those just very, it just feels like home. Like it's just a very nice feeling that I get from that part. Yeah. And the, and you, yeah, talking about the crunching leaves, like there, I love this film too, because there's like moments that things are really quiet and then it's just loud, like the dogs, like fighting Mm -hmm. and like the, the rats in the attic, no rats. And it's just some of the sounds of it are, yeah, it's really, they're able to make certain things sound super jarring that are like kind of like the trains blowing by or like other, it's just like the sounds of the film too are really comforting to me. So I, again, I like to put it in and just listen to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I should just point out, and I've talked about this on Jersey Ghouls, that I think that what, I'm assuming it's the studio or maybe it was William Friedkin, I don't know. But in the year 2000, when they re-released the movie, basically director's cut, and right. it came to the yeah. theaters and it was The Exorcist, the version you've never seen. Never seen. <laughs> which is obviously the superior version. It is the best version. It's what I have and what I watch all the time. But they added a handful of scenes. They enhanced other scenes. And even with the little enhancements of when the lights are flashing at one point and we get the image of Pazuzu on the hood of the oven kind of thing. Uh, The background blink and you miss it Pazuzu shots. It's just such, it's such an effective movie. It's certainly not for everyone. I know plenty of horror fans that there, it's just not a movie for them. I know people that think the movie is boring. Even when we get to the exorcism part, like it's just, it's boring, gratuitous, boring and i'm just 
again, it's art. It's subjective to each their own. Like, I'm going to be nice about it and just be like, yeah. sure thing, buddy. No problem. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I remember going to the theater to see the version you've never seen. I went with my mother, of course, and my best friend in high school, Lindsay. And we went to see it. And yeah, it was such a... Because like the spider walk scene and things like that were like the stuff of like legend. It's like we knew they were out there. And this is before children, young ones, if you're watching. This was before like YouTube and all that kind of stuff. So we had like pictures. Ah, there you go. Oh, that's so cool. Is that like NECA or something? Who did? Yeah, that? I can't remember if that's uh, oh, there she goes. Oh, she went to chew on uh, Sharon's she leg. Did. Yeah, I can't. You know what? I got this a while ago and oh, I can't really remember. Cool. Yeah, I can't remember where. Oh, she's so pretty. I can't remember which company, if it was NECA or not. It might have been Mezco. I'm not 100% uh, sure. Yeah. But it's, I love it. It's one of, it's one of my favorite little toys that I have, that I have on my shelf of toys. And actually that is, that's one of my favorite parts of the book because yeah. I love, the image is so jarring when you see it on screen, but I love in the book how they say that she's following Sharon down the stairs, like a spider. And she's talking about how she's like trying, her tongue is flashing out. Like she's trying to lick her ankles as she's walking yeah. down. She's following her. And oh, I, I remember reading that. And that's one of those moments where I shut the book, put the book down, took a deep breath. <laughs> it's just a story. It's not real. So yeah, definitely one of my favorite scenes. And I remember Marissa and I actually, we were in college in the year 2000 and we went to see it together. And that's one of those moments where like the whole theater, we all of us audibly screamed when that yeah. moment happened. Oh, it's so cool. Uh, that's so cool. I love that you had the, that you and Marissa had that together. That's so mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, I do remember seeing it. It's, it I was going to ask you something, whether you brought it up because I was curious about how you felt about that because obviously we can be very committed to the theatrical cuts of things and the way that we first experienced them. So I was curious how you felt about the those the updates and like this, the version you've never seen. I go back and forth about which one I want to watch because sometimes I do just want to remember what those early memories were of watching it. Mm -hmm. But... I always miss the spider walk scene. So it's like, I, I wish yeah. I had a version that just had that inserted. I think that honestly, it's one of those, my, a lot of my appreciation for it comes from the fact that they didn't try to reboot the movie. They were just like, here's this amazing classic movie. Here's the director's cut. And I could yeah. wish they would do that more with other movies. Like I don't need a remake. Give me a director's cut. And then mm. it's, if it's one of those like top tier movies, Nobody gives a shit. Give me like the four hour double Blu-ray disc that I could watch at home at my own leisure kind of thing. Like I will, if I really like the movie, we don't need to remake it. We don't need to, there's no new vision needs to be done. Just give me a good director's cut. Even it doesn't matter. Give me the scenes that got cut out. Give me characters that didn't exist. There are so many director's cuts of movies that I've seen that I think I like a lot more. Again, granted, we're going to add on an hour or two sometimes. What was it right. recently that I watched? <laughs> I think it was Apocalypse Now. I think I had watched the director's cut. And oh, apparently yeah. it adds like 45 more minutes to the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it was good. It was all very good stuff. But but yeah, I think nine times out of ten, I'm going to reach for the version you've never seen. But I think yeah. the version that's streaming is the original version. Like the one that's on like HBO, I think is the original version. Okay. 
I don't know, because I'm the same. I usually go and get the disc that I yeah. watch it. I should check actually if it's streaming to see, yeah, what version uh, it is. And I want to, I'm just to save the gift for the end, because I do want to see, talk about Believer before we leave. So I want to wait <laughs> to talk about that when talk about remakes and reboots. Let's get into a little bit of the part of the show that on Fright School we like to say, overcomplicating horror. <laughs> <laughs> From The Exorcist is a Clash of Belief Systems by Jason Zanoma. He talks about the religious conviction of bloody stories still comes across, but with more dimension. The Exorcist works on multiple fears of the unknown, the confusion of a parent over the changes of a child approaching puberty, intimidating jargon of doctors, but its most important fear, one achieved through the clash of aesthetics between Blatty and Friedkin, stems from the mysteries of faith. It holds on to the anxiety of inexplicable awe in the face of an overwhelming world, something horror and religion share. So part of the conversation about this is that Blatty and Friedkin really clashed quite a bit because Blatty really wanted to preserve his book, his novel, The Exorcist, is about a crisis of faith in Karis and and, and sort of these questions, these bigger questions, whereas like Friedkin, he wanted to make like a horror picture and make something that kind of was talking about other other things. And so they, yeah, they really struggled with that. And Free Kid, they removed certain scenes that were added back into the version that you've never seen that kind of clarify some things about the demon's relationship and give it a little bit more of an ending because the original cut, it's a little ambiguous. So I'm curious what you think about that and the religiosity of it. And if that played into your, because in my house, similar, it was like, I grew up with a grandmother who really believed in demons and things that would possess you. And you know, there were other family members who felt the same. And loving the exorcist was like a big red flag to them. <laughs> so I'm yeah. curious about that part of it. I think honestly, for me, the religious thing was always like a, it was in the background for me. Cause even at a young age, when I was going through my like CCD and having to do first communion and confirmation and all that, this is middle school. When Will I saw you, this. Sorry. Will you clarify CCD? Is that like catechism? Yeah, it's yeah, it's basically like mini Catholic school to okay. get your first Holy Communion, and then you get your confirmation where you get your saint name, okay. and basically you are an adult in the church kind of thing. Yeah, it's like a once a week thing during the school year. Like we would go at night, and yeah, you have to learn certain lessons, and yeah, it's basically your schooling for your rites of passage to be a Catholic. And that'd be so interesting to, yeah. to love this movie through like a Catholic lens. Cause I didn't grow up. I was, we were like Southern Baptist and like other, yeah. my grandmother I mean, grew up with like so, snake handling stuff. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, but again, like by the time, like, I think I knew, like, I really didn't have a choice. I was told you have to go to CCD. You have to have your first Holy communion. You have to be confirmed. I would say by the time I had seen this movie for the first time around that time, I was already like organized religion. Isn't for me. I faked it for the benefit of my parents. And then after eighth grade is essentially when you get your confirmation and then your Catholic schooling in that sense is done. And as soon as that was done, I was like, I'm out. And yeah. it really like the atheism kind of just kept creeping in more and more for the longest time. I'm like, I'm agnostic and maybe something exists, but I'm not going to like chain myself to any sort of, of organized religion. And then, yeah, like over the years I was like, no, I need to accept it's always been there. This is not for me at all. So yeah. while I, but at the same time, I do find it, I find religion interesting. Same thing with ghosts. I don't personally believe in ghosts. I don't personally believe in an afterlife. But if you look at my bookshelf, 
you would think I'm a liar because half the books on my bookshelf are about hauntings and finding yeah. spirits. And that's I am wildly entertained by the whole entire subject. I don't yeah. believe it, but that's just me. But I still want to get as much knowledge on it. So I would say for me, while the religion aspect was interesting, it was really, especially at the time, just background noise, just something to get me through to the exorcism part. Because right. regardless of what they were saying or what they were doing, like I said, especially when I'm like 12, 13 years old watching this movie, I just want to see the fun stuff. I want to see her spit yeah. pea soup. My, I, I think my little brain wasn't quite formed enough to really wrap my head around everything that was happening and what things were meaning and bringing right. in religion and puberty and womanhood and Catholic oppression thing didn't really yeah. yeah that wasn't there that first time and honestly even now as I watch it it's only there now because I'm friends with Marissa and I've heard Marissa talk about it it's because friends like you like when I've had actual conversations about the movie then I'm like okay so it's more than just the pea soup. It's more than it's more than your mother sucks cocks in hell kind of thing. That's fine. Do you know what she did? Your cunting dog. Your cunting dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh man, that just gave me a memory of my mother quoting the movie. Ah, uh, I miss my mom. She she was so funny quoting this film. Yeah, I think similar for me. Again, we were growing up Southern Baptist, so of course there was lots of fire and brimstone, and there was when I was first watching this movie, I believed that there were other things out there. I was young and indoctrinated by these sorts of things. So now it does, it holds us, it's a very interesting as an artifact at the time. And, and it, it like a, a lot of what I know about Catholicism is probably through The Exorcist, uh, especially the book, because they do go into a little bit more of the math. There are some scenes in the book that you know aren't necessarily in the movie. They're part of the like the, the fabric of the film, but they just, yeah. yeah so there is, yeah, most of what I know about like Catholics is from yeah, The Exorcist and Joe, little Joe trying to teach me about <laughs> things. But I did, I liked how you brought up some of the other things that it could be about, because again, one of the big the other big things that happened in 1973 was the passing of Roe v. Wade, which we have now overturned. But so you have this film come out that says this is from it's essentially a woman's picture. And that's apparently what William Friedkin said when it opened, that it was he told Variety it was a women's picture. So it's this life and death struggle for a female body. Uh, what was the other thing? Reagan isn't pregnant. For that storyline, go to Rosemary's Baby. But her body is also no longer her own. In the end, medical science proves incapable of helping Reagan. So Chris desperately turns to two Catholic priests to free her child, body and soul, a turn that only solidifies The Exorcist as one great women's film. So I thought if there's anything you remember from, from Marissa, because I do know that she tried, tried to infuse you with her powers. Uh, she the did. Monstrous Feminine. Did. Yes, bringing up Barbara Creed, bringing up <laughs> Monstrous Feminine. Um, she brought up, it's like a criticism of the film or not. I shouldn't say a criticism of the film, but it's just a criticism of the idea, the symbolic moment for Reagan of, of her being the exorcism is being performed by two men. So she needs to be saved by men. And also the idea that like her body is going through changes and that it's bad. It's in some way it's dirty. Her, right. her, starting her period like her going through that like it's a dirty thing that we need to get rid of and it's funny because when her and i talked about it in the episode that we did like we again we clashed ideas but being removed from that time now and having listened to it and really thought about it 
we had different ideas, but I was, I'm blinded by my love for the movie. So I'm like, there is no criticism. There is no constructive <laughs> criticism. There is no, nothing like that. But it's true. You can look at it through the lens of this is, it's all symbolic of a young girl. And it's the changing of the young girl to becoming a woman and her coming into her power. And in a sense, that power is being stripped from her because these men are taking it away from her. These men have to swoop in to save her. She cannot save herself. I'm not doing any of Marissa's academic research justice, but I don't <laughs> want to be remiss in in really congratulating her because she really did. She did do a deep dive into that side of things. So. Marissa and I should send you and Joe out to try to reenact some insane thing that Marissa and I have said. Uh, Give us homework. Give us the homework. I think that'd be really fun, actually, just to see the two of you be like, okay, what was it now? Something about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre being about like poverty and bullying. What was it? (laughs) That's the one I always bring up because that really messed with Joe. That and the abyss, our fight about the abyss and whether or not it's a horror film, but we can't rehash that here because he's not here. But yeah, I think it's interesting because again, there is quite a lot of the anti-abortion conversation comes out of religious. I'm not sure how much like Catholics are responsible for that versus other denominations, but there's plenty to go around, right? Of of people wanting to control women's bodies and tell them what to do. So I definitely have like full respect for that analysis. And I, I think that there's something worth Again, some of horror is is anthropology. So we're looking back. We're looking back 50 years and going, oh, shit, like Roe v. Wade happened that year. This is going down. We're in like the midst of this massive change in feminism. There's all this conversation about women's empowerment happening as we get it, as we're moving through the 70s, obviously. That, those conversations have been happening, but this new wave emerging, right? right? And so we have all these women, especially in the wake of Betty Friedan's Feminine Mystique and in the 50s and then in the 60s and 70s. So we're just in this really intense time for women. And yeah, you have this film about a young girl possessed and having these Catholic entities fighting over her bodies. Yeah, I think there's definitely something worth like looking back and saying, man, how, again, out of this film, get made, get made out during the holidays in such an important year and for women at the time. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's very interesting to interrogate. And also we, we've been talking a lot about Reagan, but I, I have to, mm. Chris McNeil, is one of the yeah. most badass moms in horror. Um, and here's yeah. here's another a Marissa thing that the mothers are often portrayed as crazy, hysterical, psycho, the, the classic words that are attached right. to a woman that shows emotion. But I loved her performance in this movie. I love the character of Chris McNeil. She's not as fleshed out as she is in the book, but she is strong enough and just to bring to the point of the times of the movie you can see her being dismissed by doctors she she says she goes back and forth between doctors and psychiatrists and doctors and psychiatrists and she keeps being dismissed and and that's not something that quite frankly has resolved itself there are still in 2023 plenty of women that are dismissed by their doctors if you know you go oh my leg is cut off. They're like, you're overweight and you probably have your period. It's like, no, on my leg got cut off. That's <laughs> right. Why. But it's probably your period. Yeah. It's, it yeah. still does happen. But I, Do you have a psychiatrist? I'm, Are you on medications? Yeah. Maybe you should be on meds. <laughs> you should be on <laughs> But I do. I love the fact that Chris won't back down. I love yeah. that she's pursuing Father Karras. Like, 
she says, my daughter needs an exorcism. And, and he's like, that just doesn't happen anymore. Like we now know about mental health and, and we know about so much more how the brain works. And she was like, I love the line where she is, you could give me the absolute double, the the 100% twin of my Reagan. And I can tell you that is not my daughter. So I love her strength and her conviction to try to to do what she can by Reagan. And, And when Marissa and I were talking about it, I said one aspect that I will never understand that only someone like Marissa can, I don't know what it's like to sit back and watch my child be in some sort of pain or illness or whatever the situation that you can't fix, that you as a mother can't fix. All you could do is try your best to comfort them and and make them be as comfortable as possible. But yeah, the, the character of Chris McNeil, Ellen Burstyn is just, she instantly became one of my favorites. And there's not a whole lot of movies that I can name that I've seen her in, but the few that I have, I absolutely adore. She's one where we will just go ahead and we'll pin that. She's a national treasure. And Chris McNeil is seriously one of the most badass moms in horror movies. I agree. Absolutely. I think one, she's a great example, especially at the time of a woman being able to be single. She's on her own. She's ra- she's raising uh, Reagan. Obviously there are scenes like that's very mm-hmm. tense between the father. Right. And there is a little bit more development of that in the book. You're yeah. right. And, and other things about Chris. She's successful clearly in the film. She's like a, a movie star. People want her autograph. People recognize her, all of that. But she's, she makes time to come home to her daughter. She's not neglecting her or anything like that. It's not really this cost of her, her career at the expense of her daughter. She's like right. built like a home and built a, a place. And it's like, I can have a job. I can come home and be with my child. So it's like, yeah, I agree. And just her like toughness throughout when she's like screaming at the, the people of what, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Like I, she's seen every goddamn doctor. She's everything. It's like, yeah. She's yeah. She's a, she's a good mama. <laughs> and Ellen Burstyn was put through hell. Like, you know, maybe she like mm-hmm. broke her coccyx or something, or maybe didn't break it, but like, injured it. It's in the film. Yeah. It's, this, it's, yeah, I, I, again, really I, I try to not to be blinded by my love. But yeah, again, William Friedkin maybe did not execute the best practices. Yeah, the scene in the movie that where we're actually the scene when Ellen Burstyn got hurt, that is the cut that they used in the film. So it's yeah. actually her screaming in pain, grabbing her back because they yanked her on her wire too hard. And yeah, she, I think suffered. I, I think same thing with Linda Blair, Linda Blair suffered yeah. a back injury. Yeah. Like keeping the set at ridiculously cold temperatures so we could see their breath. And I guess it's a form of method directing that I don't know. Yeah. Again, yeah. standards and practices have hopefully changed for the safety of and for actors. But yeah. yeah. Like, and again, it's tough to say that because I will defend this movie. And I'm like, I just, I love it so much that I'm like, I know that sucked, but it's such a good movie. <laughs> I, no, I, so I agree. It's one of those things that, yeah, it's, there are play, there's lots of movies that we love that are, when they're made under these conditions, absolutely. And we could fuck you all for that. People who made this film, but also it's, it just, it, it adds such this power to the film. Yeah. I don't really know what to say, this, but so moving on, but I love Ellen Burstyn. I hope her coccyx is fine. And I fucking love her in the divine secrets of the Yaya sisterhood. Yes. Have you ever seen I have, that's the thing. I've, like, I've seen her, I've seen her in the exorcist. I've seen her in divine secrets. Of the Not Yaya. such a good mama in that one, but, nah. but and she's then hilarious. He was in the, she was in the remake of the wicker man. 
Oh yeah, um, I haven't seen that for a long time. I should rewatch yeah. that. Especially yeah, now that like, Nicolas Cage, I feel he's getting his yes, moment. Yeah, that gets into, he wears a bearskin and punches a lady in the face. It's so yeah. good. Speaking of, yeah. All right. So one last thing before we, we're going to start wrapping up is a little bit of what you were talking about, power. Another part of the New York Times analysis was bringing this queer uh, conversation, which that's what we do over here in Fried School. We talk a lot about queer stuff. Yeah. <laughs> And they were talking about how the exorcist resonates as queer is because it's about a child consumed by an entity that the church is called on to excise, a hideous intersection of metaphorical queerness and real trauma that sounds a lot like conversion therapy. This is by The Exorcist is a subversive queer movie by Eric Lindbergh. Sorry, Eric, hopefully I said that if you're listening. Reagan wasn't an innocent girl overcome by an old demon. She's a young woman with new rage who gave voice I would add also women uh, who were tired of being told by religion, parents, medical professionals, that they were sick, need to be cured. So her message to the church and her well-meaning mom was prophetically queer. Back off. I've got power now. Again, I'd also add like more of this feminist chant as well from like young women at the time, uh, especially with Roe v. Wade passing in 73. Of, like, we have power and we're going to, because queer rights also had major shifts forward in this time as well. So you have this intertwining of the feminist movement and um, the LGBTQ plus queer movement. And I thought that was really interesting because it's not something I have personally thought much about with The Exorcist. Yeah. I have thought about the feminist angle, of course. Right. That can't be, you can't avoid that in the film. But I thought that was interesting because I was like, I'm not sure if I read exactly that because the demon's definitely not a good thing here. But yeah. I, I, I never read it as like a reading. But I like that. I like the idea of it. Well, and again, to, to reference the episode when Marissa and I were talking about it, we actually did bring up an element of that because we talked about the relationship with Father Dyer and Father Karras. Yeah, that was also mentioned in this article. Yeah, their relationship. And honestly, we're like, they're, we, I can't say we, I personally, I love both those characters. Mm -hmm. I have such, again, it's like a romance. We had the one of the our situations that we were talking about was there a lot of Karis's character is he's lost his faith. And we never really get like a full on explanation as to did something happen? Is it a series of things? Like, why? What is this crisis of faith? And one of our conversations was like, maybe it's because something has developed between he and Father mm -hmm. Dyer, unspoken as it may be, as it may be, it could have been that. So that was always the our theory, our queer read on it was father Dyer and father Karras, maybe nothing ever happened, but there was just that unspoken energy between them. And if anything, we're like, we're here for that couple. We love them. We love them so much. What's his name? Jason Miller is, he's beautiful. Quite frankly, I'm here for that too. Actually, I think Dyer's kind of cute as well. Uh, no, but, yeah, Dyer's absolutely Miller. And then of course, Jason Patrick mm -hmm. was his son. So it's us. All right, let's not put that thought into people's heads but yes jason miller very beautiful so i'm here for that yeah i think he's uh, super cute yeah and it is it's like his mother like the whole situation with her and having to go in it's yeah it's like in some ways yeah his sorry you put it now so i'm gonna have to think more about it i'm gonna have to watch it again now with this like queer lens because i don't think i ever really gave much of a thought to that 
which I mean, again, I, I actually think is exciting because I'm always looking for new ways to analyze films and make them more complicated. <laughs> Like, all right, Joe, we got to redo our exorcist talk because now we got to talk about how Karis is gay. And Marin's like an elder gay who comes to help <laughs> save a young, budding, what do we call it, fairy queen. There we go, yeah. As Linda Blair becomes friend to all the gays. Uh, what is happening now? Okay, all right. But I, I did think that was really interesting and I, yeah. I sort of appreciated uh, that I hadn't thought about it. And I'm constantly like thinking everything's gay. So <laughs> the fact that I never put that lens on The Exorcist, I was like, yeah. I don't know. No, I, do, I do like the thought of Reagan's experience is yeah. some sort of conversion therapy. It mm-hmm. is, it's an interesting spin. I could rewatch it again. I joke that I how Beetlejuice talks about in his movie that he's seen the exorcist 167 times at this point I've seen it like 168 no offense Beetlejuice but I've seen it more than you now (laughs) but yeah no it'll be interesting to watch it with that thought in the back of my head just a new again we're always it's anthropology it's our glasses what we put on in the time that we're that we're in all right before we sign off what did we think of Believer I think that it, I think that it was the, it was the movie it was that the was movie. made. No, I, yeah, it was, it was a movie that was made. I said that as far as a possession movie, I said it was, it's very down the middle. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't yeah. great. It was perfectly average for me. Does it stand up anywhere to The Exorcist? No, not even in the same arena. I I appreciate some of the Easter eggs and the fan service that they gave us. Not to spoil anything, but that very last scene that happens. Mm -hmm. Sure. Did I cry? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I got all over But I totally admit that. Yeah. It's a nice moment. It was a nice moment. And yeah, I cry. And did Marissa make fun of me? Absolutely. But that's... Yeah. Par for the course. Um, I'm the sap of the group. She's tough stuff and I'm the one. You give me like a good commercial and I'm like, that's really special. Um, <laughs> I don't. I'm so, I'm such a sap. But no, um, yeah, it would, I feel like if they didn't slap the name The Exorcist on it, that I might have liked it a little more. I think I went in with a little bit of a preconceived notion of, okay, this is The Exorcist and you're bringing back Chris McNeil. I liked what they did with her character up until the point where I hated what they did with her character. Really? This woman had suffered enough. Yeah. Thanks for giving her all this power and purpose and then just taking it away. Yeah. But aside from that, yeah, it was, it was okay. I don't know that I need to watch it again. I saw it. I can say that I saw it, that I guess apparently they Blumhouse has a deal. There's going to be more regardless of, how much money that it ended up making. Yeah, I think it's like deceivers coming. Like yeah, reliever, like, deceiver, coming. achiever, then, reliever. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. What are they t- <laughs> I don't know. I think that <laughs> I saw Believer and from there, prob- we'll see if I see any of the other ones. I don't know. Yeah, I'll but, probably watch it. It's like we're constantly consuming horror stuff. But that's how I felt. I'm like, there was some nice sound stuff that did remind me. Like there was like a sequence of dogs fighting and like some mm-hmm. stuff, like some of the soundscape that they 
created did very much remind me of the exorcist kind of re yes. recreated some of that vibe but otherwise yeah if they would have taken the exorcist off of it and just had it not had like chris mcneil and have that kind of storyline uh, which wasn't a huge part of the movie really oh. they could probably take that out and it would have just been like oh it's a movie about two best friends who get possessed and the religion spiritual avengers come to fight <laughs> the, these <laughs> monsters and these demons and that's the story yeah. that's the film I'm probably, yeah, I agree. I probably would have been like, oh yeah, I like that. It was good enough. It doesn't end on a necessarily happy note, obviously. And it doesn't, end yeah. on, it's it had enough complexity that I'm like, oh, this is actually very interesting. But putting the Exorcist stuff on, I just think gave it such a bar to rise to, raise yeah. to, especially with Heretic has its thing. Legion, I love, I, I do really love the third Exorcist film, right? That's Legion. Um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Did you read the book Legion? You know what? I, I'm so embarrassed to admit that I've not finished it. I do have it. I've been reading it. No, slowly. I read it. I read it for the first time a couple of months ago, and it's. I don't like it. Okay, right. <laughs> I don't like it. I, so you I, don't I, like? I think, did you not like the film either? The the sequel? No, I, I really like the film. Oh, okay. I re- the movie I thought was well. I think part of the book is just it was. I don't know. The only I wanted to DNF the book, but I'm like, The Exorcist is my all time favorite book ever. I'm like, this is the sequel. I have to finish it. And I pushed through. But yeah, like it was just, I don't know. There was a lot that I didn't like about the book. But no, the third movie, it's bananas. And I love George C. Scott as the cop. And there's just so many scenes that are just visually beautiful. And yeah. that one jump scare is just so iconic. And yeah, I do the third movie, but the yeah, the book was. Yeah, it didn't suck me in. I remember like starting to read The Exorcist and just being pulled into it. Yes. Every time I read it, even though it's the same, I know the words, I know where it's going. The the way it's written, it's just so beautiful. So it always pulls me in. Uh, is Heretic as bad as I remember or should it be revisited? Okay, because no. I keep thinking I'm going to rewatch it just for fun, just oh, to see. Don't. <laughs> don't, don't. It's, it was so hard to watch that movie. It actually took okay. me a couple days to watch the movie because I kept just being like, I can't right now. And I would stop it. And then I'd have to go back. You don't need to revisit it. It is absolute nonsense. And it has no bearing on the story. You can 100% skip it and go right to the extra story. Yeah, yeah. Legion is like its own thing. Totally. That's very true. I've just been thinking, oh, maybe I should revisit it just to see. Is it really bad, as people say, or that I remember? But did you watch this series? I watched the first season. I haven't watched the second season yet. And I didn't dislike the first season they obviously went down some roads my i put it in the category of it's like exorcist fanfic and it can have its place at the table it's just in that pile over there don't come over here you stay in your little lane over there i yeah that's i don't dislike it which surprises me because i feel like jackie from a couple years ago would have just mf'd that show completely for what they did but no, older, wiser, I literally, it's fanfic to me. And okay. it's okay. I, I liked it enough that I watched the whole entire season. Yeah, that was the same. I watched the first season. I enjoyed it enough. I love Gina Davis. So yeah. I was like, Alan, I'm, I'm going to show um, it just for her. And Alan, um, oh, I can't think of his last name. 
Yeah. From Ferris Bueller. But I do. Him. I absolutely. Yeah. From, from Twister yeah. as well. And is it Sharon? What's her name? She was in Queer as Folk. She, she shows up as Chris, um, the mother. Sharon Gless. I don't Gless. know her name. Anyways, it's all right. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway. Okay. Super fun. Oh my gosh. This was such a great like deep dive, even though we were cursed because they were, there were supposed to be other, other panelists today, but the exorcist curse took them out. So this is, it lives on. So it was us, but this was still super fun to chat with you real quick. Yay. Reagan living dead doll. I couldn't find, I have an autographed Funko pop of Linda Blair that she signed for me, but I couldn't find it to show off in summer. Uh, I also have an autographed copy of her vegan cookbook or oh, nice. her vegan book. Maybe it's not a cookbook. I don't know. I just knew it was autographed. So I got it. <laughs> I'm not a vegan, but I was happy to support all the animals. So Thank you for hanging out. Tell folks where to find you. You can find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. Just search Jersey Ghouls. You will find us there. You could also head over to jerseyghouls.com and see all the same stuff on social media and stuff. Although we are, we have been talking about doing some more blog posts. So cool. you, we will alert you on social media and direct you to our website. I love that. And as always, you can find Fright School at Fright School on all the things. Thank you all so much. We are here again, fourth annual Geekscape holiday live stream. Tacular. I love this. <laughs> again, we're raising money for Big Brothers and Big Sisters of Central and Northern New Jersey. And so please consider donating to a very worthy cause. Big Brothers, Big Sisters do like, really incredible work. And I'm, as a mental health professional, I love the work that those organizations do because we really need that in our community. So I love that Geeks does this love being part of the geekscape network oh yes jackie thank you again thank and, you for having um, me happy yes holidays. this was so fun yes happy, happy holidays. holidays and uh, happy 50th birthday the exorcist yay oh the fanfare and the pea soup just little images of like, pea soup instead of confetti cannons yes oh shoot i should have <laughs> planned better <laughs> bye Fright School is produced by Joshua Napier and Joe Farron. Our intro was edited by Davy Boy Productions. Our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.